Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Uh, I'm going to start a, a, a new series. and we're, I'm going to do a series on Learn to Love, called Learn to Love. And uh, Stefan is the one who came up with this title. He's been teaching a course. He hasn't done it now for a few years, but he's been teaching a course for a few years called uh, Learn to Love. It's a workshop. It's amazing. And, uh, and so one of the things we plan to do together as a team was because our mission statement is love God, love people, be disciple to make disciples. We thought, what could be better than to do a whole message series on discipling people to grow in love, to fulfill the greatest commandment, which is love God and love people. So we're going to spend the next six plus one weeks. Uh, I know everybody's already uh, talking about that six plus one. Why don't you just say seven? Well, it's six plus one. Okay. It's a six week course. But it's going to be plus one week longer because there's a prayer summit right in the middle of it. And that week, cells won't be meeting. So the, 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 it's a six-week course, but it's six plus one. Anyway, uh, you get it. I'm going to put a few things up here on the screen. Uh, all the stuff that's going to be going on this next month and a half, this six weeks plus one. Uh, many of our cell groups, all of our cell groups who want to, are going to be going through uh, the Learn to Love materials together. Uh, my messages are going to be on Learn to Love. And then Wednesday nights, we're going to do a fun thing during midweek online. Uh, as many of you families, any of you families with middle school students uh, know, uh, we have a middle school program that runs online right now, Wednesday nights at 7. And for the next uh, six weeks, uh, LaDonna and I and the kids are going to be on that midweek. And the whole goal is, with this Learn to Love stuff, is to get families talking and having conversations together, to get families uh, having good conversations together so that families can learn to love each other. And so uh, that'll start this uh, Wednesday night in the cell groups. Uh, that starts this week as well, starting tomorrow. Um, just so you know, if you're not in a cell group and you're saying, uh, I'm not in a cell group, and maybe you're, at a, you're, maybe you're not from around here. You might be you know, watching this message and you might be in some other place in Manitoba or some other place in Canada or around the world. Uh, every week, uh, starting tomorrow, every Monday, there's going to be a, a Learn to Love link on our website. And uh, it's going to have new stuff every week. But every week, it's going to have a video, okay, for six lessons. It's going to have a video, an exercise uh, uh, booklet, a practicum to try. And if you want to take the small group materials that many of our cell groups are going through on the Learn to Love but you, maybe you don't have a cell group, or maybe, uh, maybe you just know a bunch of people in your life you'd like to go through it with, and not your cell group, or in addition to your cell group, we'll give you all the small group materials. Any of you who wants this stuff, we want anyone who wants to learn to love to be able to learn to love. It's free, okay? We, we believe in free. Uh, you just click on that link, and you can also download small group materials and stuff. You can also uh, email Dana Lowen, that's Dana L at myselfone.com, and she will send you all of the small group materials. All right, we're going to start this uh, series off with 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, one of the most famous passages, obviously, in the Bible, but actually a famous passage um, outside of Christianity as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, or verses 1 to 8, is this incredible uh, passage on love and what it means to love from the Apostle Paul. And it's beautiful. And this is the foundation uh, for this series, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 7. And uh, Paul is going to say some things, even though we know this passage so well, there's still some things in here that if we stop and think about them, they're actually a little shocking, okay? And how beautiful and how amazing and how powerful 
is real love. And so I'm going to read it a little bit here. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Are any of you convicted yet? <laughs> it does not rejoice. I mean, this, this passage is beautiful and convicting all at the same time, right? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Okay? Love never ends. And uh, Paul makes a number of comparisons in this passage that I think are important for us as Christians uh, to remember. He says, love is the most important thing. It's more important than speaking in tongues. Okay? So he specifically names that one. And that's a gift that he himself is passionate about. He talks in other passages about how much he speaks in tongues. But he says, love is more important than speaking in tongues. He says, Love is more important than having a ton of faith. You know, to be a loving person is more important than to be that bold, faith-filled person. And not that those things are bad. Again, we love the gifts. We love, you know, whether it be, you know, tongues or prophecy or the various, you know, gifts that God gives. Um, but Paul says it's more important to be loving. More important to be full of love than to be full of faith. More important to have love than to get great prophetic words or to make big sacrifices for God. He says it's, it's more important, you know, in verse 3, he says, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, these are things that, these are the outward trappings that make many of us think, well, that person is super spiritual. I mean, they gave, you know, they gave away everything they had. They went on missions. They did whatever it is. The things that we see as being the spiritual things and, and not that any of those things are bad. They're wonderful if they're done with love. Paul says, if they're not done with love, literally, all these spiritual-looking trappings, all the sacrifices, all the disciplines, all the gifts, if they are simply the trappings of a Christian life, um, but that one that is not filled with love for people and for God, Literally, it is nothing to have all of those spiritual-looking, amazing things. And that's what Paul says, right? Verse 2, I'm just going to read it again. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So... We need to let that sink in for just a bit because I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed in my own life uh, and then in the lives of, of many of us, I think, as Christians, how easily we get sidetracked from love. I think we get sidetracked so easily, you know, and we, we get into all kinds of things that are really good. They're actually important things. They're things we need. Things like devotions. It's so important that you have your devotions. It's so important that you spend time with God in prayer and that you read your Bible, but 
I'm just amazed how easily as Christians we can turn all these things into a to-do list that now I feel like a good Christian, but where's the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the patience and the kindness? Paul says all of that discipline and all of that good work and all that sacrifice is nothing um, without love. You can be bold and witness to all your friends about Jesus, but if you do it without love, Paul says, it's empty. You can give to missions in the church, but if you do it without love, if you're not kind to the people around you, Paul says, it's empty, okay? And, uh, and so, that, and that's one of the things I want to talk about is, is just this whole thing of how, as Christians, we always want to take some of the important things that we need to do but they're only powerful if they're filled with love. And we turn those things into the checklist of what it means to be a good person. But those things are an ends to, or a means to an end, not ends in and of themselves. And uh, we see this in John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus has a very uh, interesting rebuke for the Pharisees. And he says this. He says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures. So these were guys who were super spiritual. They read their Bibles all the time. And by the way, reading your Bible is important. Okay, it's not bad that they were reading their Bibles. But the point is, they were super spiritual people. They did the giving. They did the tithing. They did the missions. And they, and they read their Bibles lots. And Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, you think that the Christian life, well, obviously they weren't Christians yet and they didn't believe in Jesus, but you think that spiritual life is found in the discipline, in being this amazing Christian who does all these things and you've got this checklist of all the things you do. You're so disciplined and you're so generous and you're so this and you're so that. And you spend so much time in prayer. He says, you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but now he rebukes them and he says this, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. All of those spiritual disciplines, all of those Christian things that are so important and that we need to do, are supposed to, aren't rewards in and of themselves. They're supposed to connect us to the love of Jesus. That's the whole point. That's why we do them. We don't do them to build ourselves up to be something amazing or to judge others as being more or less amazing than us. The purpose of those disciplines is to connect us to love Jesus. There's actually a goal. There's a purpose why we do them. And I think many of us have lost sight of that. We do many things in our Christian life. We show up at cell. We show up at services. We, we, we read our Bibles. We do the journaling. We do, 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 do. But I think many of us feel spiritually dead because we've lost the reason why we do these things. Love is the reason. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, And when you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay? Prayer is not something you brag about, even to yourself. Prayer is not something that, okay, I've spent enough hours in prayer now. Now I'm a, now I'm a great Christian, okay? But he says this, verse 6, Jesus goes on, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Prayer is about a relationship with the Father. Prayer is not a thing in and of itself. It's a thing to connect us to the love of God and to the love of Jesus. That's the whole reason to do it. It's nothing, it's nothing to feel, to brag about. It's nothing to feel amazing about. It's something to connect you to Jesus. And then he goes on to say this, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Again, you think, I got to add up a certain number of hours and then God will, then I'll be a better Christian. Then God will answer my prayers. And yes, it's wonderful to spend time with God. But if you think the power is just in how much time you spend, that's not what, that's what Jesus says here. For they think they will be heard for their many words. You're not heard by God because you've passed some mark that you got spiritual enough. You did enough disciplines. You went to enough church services. You served in enough events. You put in enough hours. That's not how it works. Look what he says, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And the implication there, there is that he also cares. He not only knows what you need before you ask him, he also cares about what you need before you ask him. I think that's just absolutely amazing. That before you even get to Jesus, like I think sometimes we have this picture of prayer is we're trying to convince God to want to help us. We're trying to convince God. We're trying to, you know, maybe subconsciously we're, we think he doesn't know about our problems. So we have to convince, we have to first tell him about our problems so he would know about it. And then we have to convince him, please. And if I, if, if, if I just work up enough kind of passion, I can get him to care about my prayer request and then hopefully answer it. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You can go to prayer. Because he's waiting for us to come to him in prayer. It's true. He's waiting for you to ask him. But you don't have to earn anything with him in prayer. The moment you say, Father, he is already there. He already cares. He already knows what you need. So you can actually go to him and trust. And now what you're doing in prayer is not trying to convince a God who doesn't care about you to care about you. What you're going there is in love and trust and you're going, Thank you, Jesus. You see that I'm overwhelmed in this situation. I need your help. And you're leaving. You're leaving your problems there with him because he cares for you. And you leave trusting him, knowing that he's going to care for you and take care of you. I think it's amazing. You know, those of you who are parents, I mean, it's Mother's Day, right? So we're, we're thinking about moms. Um, but those of you who are parents and you have kids, isn't it true that if your child needs something, the moment they tell you about their need, okay? Now, I know there's times when us parents are less than perfect, okay? There's times when you're overtired. My kids are listening to this message right now, and they come to you with a need, and it's like, wah, wah, wah. okay? Now, fortunately, thankfully, God is not like that. But isn't it true, if your child has a, has a, has a real need, the moment they come to you, like your, your four-year-old comes to you, with, you know, a Lego thing they built and it broke and they need you to help. The moment they come to you, they don't have to convince you. They don't have to spend two hours. Oh, please, mom. Oh, please, mom, would you care? Oh, please, dad, would you care? The moment they, they come to you with tears in their eyes and they say, uh, my, my thing broke. The moment they do that, your heart just, just overflows with love and you want to help them. You want to help them because you love them. Did you know that God loves you? doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard things in life, but it does mean that every time you bring a request to him, he already cares. 
And that's even more motivation for me, and it's even more motivation for all of us to pray. Because we can go to him, and that's where we can leave our worries, trusting and saying, Jesus, please help me with this. And you know that he cares for you. Can you imagine a kind of parent that would say, um, you know, their kid comes up to them crying, I, I need help with this, and they need help with something that their dear little hearts, uh, you know, think, think are, uh, is so important. Sorry, I just kicked my water bottle over. Can you imagine a parent, though, that said to their kid when their kid comes in with a need, um, convince me, earn it. You haven't been a good enough kid recently. Why would I help you? Um, sadly, I mean, there are parents like that in this world. Uh, some of you might have had a parent like this in this world. But that's not what God is like. That's not what the Father is like. The Father does not say, convince me. The Father does not say, earn it. In fact, you can't earn anything with God. Jesus already died for you. Ephesians chapter 2. This is, this is, I mean, we just have to get the gospel into our hearts. How much God loves you. It says this, you, you can't earn anything with God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. There's that love piece. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Did God love you after you started being good? Or did he love you before? By the way, some of you still haven't succeeded in starting and being good. Right? But it doesn't say here, but God being rich in mercy, after you repented and started being good, then he started loving you. No, that's not what it says. It says, and this is the word of God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. I know people in our church. I know people on our staff. But I, just, uh, I was just talking with a man uh, about a week ago, uh, and I know his testimony, but he was talking about how before he became a Christian, he hated, he hated God. And I know, I know multiple testimonies like this in our church. Not, not people who just didn't know about God. There's lots of people out there that just kind of don't know about God, or maybe they just feel indifferent. Uh, they have different reasons why they're not Christians. They had a bad experience. They were wounded. But they wouldn't say that they hated God. But I'm talking about stories of people in our church who despised God, who intentionally blasphemed him who tried to lead others away from him, who intentionally did things to hurt and anger him. They hated him. It's not even that they didn't believe in him. They hated him. And you know what's amazing about those testimonies? How Jesus still chased them down and loved them and brought them to repentance through his kindness and love. Now, here's the crazy thing. If Jesus loves people even who hate him, what makes you as a Christian think he doesn't like you just because you're not perfect? How many Christians are going into prayer and getting up every morning and they feel I, I, like it's like a plague. It's like a, it's a disease. But how many Christians just feel totally inadequate? They feel unspiritual. I don't do this enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't do spiritual things enough. I don't pray enough. So they're, and they just feel inadequate with God. They feel like they're not special to God. They feel like he wouldn't answer their prayers. They feel constantly self-condemned. Here's the thing I, here's the question I ask. If God loves even the people who hate him, he's not going to love you just because you're not perfect. He absolutely loves you. In my prayer today and early this morning, I was praying that the love of Jesus would come through your TV screens. 
this Mother's Day and that you would experience the love of Jesus today. You don't have to earn it. So your problem isn't that God doesn't love you. You feel like God doesn't love you. But your problem isn't that God actually doesn't love you. Your problem is your feelings are lying to you. Okay? Your feelings lie to you and tell you God's not going to take care of you. Your feelings lie to you and tell you God's mad at you. Your feelings lie to you and tell you that you're worthless and stupid and ugly and all of that. Your feelings, lie to some, your feelings are lying to some of you and telling you that because your marriage broke up, that you're on the shelf now forever. And you can never be a good Christian. You can never be worth anything or used by God. Those are your feelings, okay? Your feelings lie to you and tell you that because you sinned, God's given up on you. That's not reality. If you ever doubt how much Jesus loves you, I want you just to meditate on the fact, the historical fact of the cross. That's how much Jesus loves you. Your feelings are the problem, not God. And this is why we pray. We don't pray because we need to earn something for, for God. I think it's, this is a, a subtle lie that many Christians labor under, is this lie. They wouldn't consciously say it, but when you get up in the morning to have your devos or at nighttime, whenever you do your devos, there's this subtle lie of the reason I'm doing this is because I, I have to, because I have to earn something with God. You don't pray because you have to earn something with God. He already loves you. The reason I pray and the reason I want to pray, the older I get, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I want to pray. The reason I want to pray is because I already know I don't have to earn it. He already loves me. The door is already open. So that's why I pray. I don't have to earn anything with God. I go there because I know he's loving me. And any feelings to the contrary are nothing but lies. So for me, and I think as Christians, we need to actually have a goal for our devotional life. It's not just a devotional life for the sake of working something up for God or to compare ourselves to everybody else and sell. The reason we have a devotional life is because I need a daily reminder that God loves me. And if I don't stop, see, the enemy of me realizing how much God loves me is that every day new lies come back into my head and self-loathing and and condemnation and anxiety and the busyness of life take over. These are the enemies of God's love in our souls. So the purpose of devotions is not to earn something with God. He says, you couldn't earn anything with me. I love you already. The purpose of a devotional life is to quiet myself and take some time every day to step out of the craziness of life and the busyness and the stress and to be reminded of the truth that he's my father and that he cares and to get his truth into me. So that's what devotions are for. You know, it reminded me, one of the things I thought of this week as I was getting ready for, um, for this message is uh, I thought about an analogy. I, I like sports, and, and of course, there are no sports right now, so, which I'm actually okay with, because uh, really all I'm into anyway is the NFL, and that wouldn't be on now anyway. I'll, I'll experience my withdrawal in fall. But... Um, uh, one of the things, you know, if you follow hockey or football, uh, professional athletes have to train. They have to do tons of work in the gym. They have to do tons of cardio work. They have to be fit in order to endure and, and play. They have to be strong in order to succeed. So they have to spend lots of time exercising. There's no question. And a professional athlete that doesn't exercise and train, uh, at least in football or hockey, um, you know, maybe in golf, I don't know. So there's my shot at all the golfers out there. Um, 
But, you know, in, in football or hockey, a professional athlete that doesn't ex exercise and train hard isn't going to succeed. But having said that now, okay, so exercise is important. I want you to think about this. They don't give the, the Super Bowl or the Grey Cup or the Stanley Cup. They do not give it to the team that exercises the most. Isn't that true? They don't, they don't like, okay, hey, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers last year, you guys ran the most miles on the treadmill. You lifted the most, you spent the most hours lifting weights. Therefore, here's the Grey Cup. Ah, so it's, it's, you, there's no reward. Nobody walks around bragging on the football field because of how much they exercised. The whole point of the exercise, exercise is important, but it's serving the goal, which is to be able to play the game well, okay? What is the game of the Christian life? Love God, love people. That's it. They don't give out MVP awards in heaven for how many hours you were disciplined to serve a church and tithe and pray and read your Bible, you know, journaling and devotions. That's not what the rewards are for. The rewards are for love God, love people. Now, an athlete that doesn't exercise isn't going to succeed on the field. So I'm not saying exercise isn't important. And spiritual disciplines and serving and going to church and, and tithing and spending time with the Lord every day, how else are you going to connect to God's love? But if you lose sight of it, I just feel like it's such this subtle thing. So many Christians have become focused on the exercise and they're looking around, how good a Christian are you? How much time are you in the gym? When really it should be about how kind are you to the people around you? How much do the people around you feel your love? Do you listen or are you defensive? Do you have compassion for people? Are you patient and kind? That's, that's the game and that's what the reward in heaven is for. And if we keep our eyes focused on that, I actually think it brings the life into all the disciplines. Because we're not doing them to do them. We're doing them because Jesus loves us so much and we love him. And I want to be reminded of that every day so I can love everybody else. It's a beautiful thing. By the way, this is why uh, Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul prays that we would experience Jesus' love. Now, this is a fascinating prayer to me because there's so many things I feel like we pray that aren't what Paul prays. Now, it's not bad. Obviously, there's a hundred things we're going to pray. Paul doesn't give us every prayer we're ever going to pray. But in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 14, we see this. Paul prays this prayer for the church at Ephesus. And I, I just think there's so much to be gleaned from this prayer and what he prays. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's you being rooted and grounded in love. By the way, I just want to stop there just for a moment. That's you, this is part of Paul's prayer for the church. That you being rooted and grounded in love. I just wonder, when I look at that line there, that you being rooted and grounded in love, I feel like so many of us, you know what we're rooted and grounded in? Guilt, condemnation, and fear. It just feels to me like so many of us as Christians, and this is me too. It feels like so many of us as Christians, if it wasn't for guilt, it's like we wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves. The only way we know how to motivate ourselves and others is with guilt. If I don't feel guilty, in fact, I, I literally, I know people who, if you start to take off the guilt, they feel afraid. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if you take off the guilt? People won't do what they're supposed to do. 
Paul says that you being rooted and grounded, not in guilt, not in condemnation, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now look what he goes on to say. Verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now there are so many other important prayers. This isn't the only prayer Paul prays in the Bible and it's not the only prayer we're supposed to pray. And of course, there's the, the Lord's prayer. And there's lots of other prayers. But this is a big prayer. It's written in the Bible. It's Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus. And it's so interesting to me that it focuses. He, he doesn't even focus so much on that they would become loving, even though obviously that's part of it. He focuses on the first step, which is that you would know how high and wide and deep and powerful is Jesus' love for you. Why would he pray that? Because that's, that's the whole point. Why, why would he pray that you would know Jesus' love? This isn't a means to another end. This is the point. Why did Jesus create the whole universe? Because he wanted us to be alive. He loves us. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because he loves us. What, is Paul, what does Jesus want you to know today on Mother's Day? He wants you to know that he loves you. This universe exists because he loves you. He died on the cross because he loves you. And the fact of the matter is, if you could even experience that love, for just, if you could just experience, like Paul actually prays in this prayer, look at, the, look at the, the, the first line in verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend. You actually need strength to comprehend how big Jesus' love is for you. It's so big. If you could actually experience the fullness of Jesus' love for you right now, just for 60 seconds, your life would be changed forever. It'd be changed. If you could just get the whole bucket in one shot, we're going to have to actually wait till heaven because it would probably fry some circuits. But if you could just experience the love of Jesus for even 60 seconds, it would change your life. No more fear. No more worry. No more anxiety. No more self-loathing. No more guilt and condemnation. It would all be destroyed and washed away in the love of Jesus. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's my prayer for you today. You know what, though? The fact of the matter is that many of us have barriers to receiving Jesus' love. We, have, we put up our own barriers. We have objections, okay? We have things we hate about ourselves. We have things we feel shame about. And we have all kinds of arguments with Jesus, when he tries to love us, we have all kinds of arguments, some of them subconscious, some of them conscious, that we say to Jesus, no, 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 I, I don't deserve that. And Jesus says, I love you. No, 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 you can't. No, 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 I'm too ashamed. Have you seen what I've done? Have you seen who I am? You know, I think there's some of you watching this today, and your objection is, I screwed up my marriage. I messed it up. I messed it up bad. I don't, th I don't know if I can get it back. Or maybe it's, so, maybe it's over already, and it's, you've already... Uh, divorce, you've already split up, and you feel like, no, no, Jesus can't love me. I'm, I'm, I'm done for life. You know what, Jesus, you know what, when you encounter Jesus' love, you know what Jesus says to you? You give that objection, he says, swept aside. <laughs> how could something, how could something like a broken marriage stop me from loving you? I made you, son. I made you, daughter. How could swept aside? You say, oh, objection. Jesus says, I love you. 
And you feel like, no, no, this can't be true. This can't be right. There's got to be something more. I feel guilty. I've got to pay penance. There's got to be something I have to suffer in order to be loved by Jesus. And Jesus says, swept aside. No. Paul prays, I pray that you would know how much he loves you. You say, yeah, but I've done many super shameful, perverted things in my life. And Jesus' love says, swept aside. My love is more powerful than your perversion. My, my love is more powerful than your big mess-ups. My blood is more powerful than the most dirty thing you could do. Son and daughter, I wash you. I forgive you. I cleanse you. I think Jesus is saying to some of us today, because we have given him so many objections. I don't like this about myself. I can't be worthwhile of your love. I don't think, no, it's got, there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah, I've got to earn it somehow. And I think for some of us today, Jesus is saying, I am bored with your objections. I am bored with talking to you constantly about all the things you don't like about yourself and about your past. Can we please start talking about all the things I love about you? And you say, well, what is there to love about me? And Jesus says to you, child, I saw you say thank you to that waiter the other day. Well, I guess no one's done that since COVID, but I saw you say thank you to the delivery man the other day. And, uh, and you smiled at him before he left. And you go, what? That's such a small thing. That doesn't count for anything. And Jesus says to you, I love the small things. Whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these, one of these little ones because they are mine, his, he will have a reward in heaven. Jesus loves the small things. And then he says to you, I saw you the other night with your kids. And you're like, what? I lost my temper on them last night. And Jesus says, yeah, but I noticed how you controlled your tongue more than you've ever done it before when you lost your temper. And I also noticed that you apologized two, two hours uh, later. You used to never apologize at all. Son, you're growing. I'm so happy. I love you. It's not that Jesus loves our sin, but Jesus has a totally different there's no condemnation. Read Romans 8 verse 1 and memorize that there is no condemnation therefore for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're his son or daughter, he's not condemning you. He loves you. He doesn't love sin. You say, yeah, yeah, there's got to be something he hates about me. He, doesn't hate, he hates my sin. That's not you. He says to you, child, I don't like the sin. No, it's destroying you. But I absolutely accept you. And I want to be part of working this out with you. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Jesus' love is so full of hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. You know what's the cool thing about 1 Corinthians 13? That's what Jesus' love looks like. None of us can live out 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. No. That, too, that is too amazing of love. That's the goal. That's what we shoot for. We go in that direction, but we don't make it. Why? Because this is Jesus' love and this is what it looks like. Look what Jesus' love for you looks like. Don't just think about this passage as how you have to love others. First, think about this passage as how Jesus loves you. Look at this. Jesus' love bears all things. All. All the ways you've messed up. All the ways you've over and over again fallen into that pit. Jesus' love for you bears all things. Jesus' love believes all things. Now, the believes all things there isn't about naivety. It means believes the best. Many of us, when we look at ourselves, we always see the worst. 
And there's, you know, and there's, by the way, and repentance, we need to repent and confess our sins. But it's not a repentance that comes without hope. It's a repentance that comes with hope. Jesus looks at you and says, yes, son, thank you. Thank you, daughter, for coming to me. And you're telling him, but I'm just so useless, and I'm so this, and I'm so, uh, and I'm so that. And he says, no, 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 you're improving. I can see it. I see your heart. I see how you struggle and don't want to sin. I love that about you. Jesus' love believes the best about you. Jesus' love hopes all things. His love is for you is full of hope and endures all things. It's not that Jesus doesn't see your sin. We know that. That's what the set free retreat is all about. Confession is, about, is not about us, you know, doing something magical. It's about us admitting for ourselves and for Jesus. Here's what I've done. Help me. And then Jesus receives us with love. You know, you say, well, why are we talking so much? This is a learn to love. We're supposed to be learning to love others. Well, that's why I found Ephesians 3, that prayer, so fascinating. Paul was on to something. If we begin to experience the love of Jesus for ourselves, that's the biggest foundation secret for you to begin to be able to love others. Because I think we're totally capped. The fact of the matter is, most of us are totally capped in our love for others by our lack of, you can't give something you, ha- you haven't received. I can't give you money I don't have. I can't give you diamonds I don't have. I can't give you anything I don't have. The only thing I can give you is something I have. So if all I have for myself is condemnation and judgment and inadequacy, that's all I can give to you. That's why, brothers and sisters, we need to pray, but it's not the kind of prayer that's trying to earn something. It's the kind of prayer and quiet time with the Lord that reminds us afresh that Jesus is saying to us, oh, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I accept you. Oh, and then to the level that we have allowed him, that we have taken down the barriers and the objections to his love and allowed him to love us, you will now be empowered to love others. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls. Now, that's in the ESV as controls. The NIV says compels. Okay, it can be translated compels. And I looked it up as well. So that's, uh, that's right in the Greek there. So, um, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, because Jesus loves us so much, right? Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised Paul says, it's the love of Jesus that compels me. It's not guilt. Paul didn't do, you know, we read the stories of Paul doing ministry. And it's like, what an amazing spiritual giant. Like he was just so incredible. He was just so disciplined. He was just so self-sacrificing. He just was such a glutton for punishment and pain. It was a spiritual. He was so full of love. He was so compelled. He was happy in the love of Jesus. He was happy in the love of Jesus. And he was so happy at the forgiveness that Jesus had shown him and the love that Jesus had shown him that compelled by that love. Let me tell you something. Love is the best motivation in a Christian life. I know that, you know, we're all imperfect and we we see things darkly so we don't experience the love of Jesus the way we should and we want to. Um, But, and so sometimes we do good things out of guilt and we do them out of fear and that's okay. It's great. We do, God sees those and he says, I see you, child. I see you struggling down there. 
But that all that fear and that guilt and condemnation, you know what? It tires us out. And lots of people just eventually, they just give up. They got to take a sabbatical from the Christian life because they're just worn out. But when your motivation is love, when it's the love of Christ that compels you, when you realize that Jesus loves you, he even loves, you know what's the most amazing part about Jesus' love? And uh, you're going to see this in the Learn to Love materials this week. Stevan's got a great lesson on the video. So you all want to get in on that. And, and I know a lot of cell groups will be doing it, but even if you're not in a cell group, you want to get in on that. But he talks about belonging and how a big part of belonging is, is loving someone even with their, not in spite of their weaknesses, but loving them with their weaknesses. Um, Jesus does that for us. He sees you with your weaknesses and he doesn't say, oh, I, I love you even though you have this. He's like, I love you, and I love you in your weakness, and I love you in your struggles, and I love you with your shortcomings. You don't have to change a single thing. I love you just the way you are. It's amazing. And when you receive that kind of grace, I think of how often as Christians, in our families and in the workplace, we, we operate out of fear. We operate out of control. We operate out of manipulation. We operate out of anger. And you know where all that's coming from? We're not filled in here with the grace of Jesus. We don't know how much he loves us. And if you knew how much grace he had for you today, you would, you would overflow with grace and love for others. And that's an amazing thing. So I want to kick off this series with a, with a six-week challenge. And the six-week challenge, there's going to be other things because, you know, with all this learn to love material during the week and stuff, there's, there's homework exercises and different things you can do to grow and practice love and gratitude is an important part of that and all that. So this is just an easy part. This is just something that just takes a few moments. Could take a few moments every day if you want to do it. But I want us to take Paul's big prayer and make it our big prayer for the next six weeks. So the prayer is just to take Ephesians 2, 18 to 19, that we would know how high and wide and deep and strong is Jesus' love for me, that we would each pray that for ourselves for six weeks. Just pray it. Put it on your bathroom mirror or put a little reminder to you on your phone and just pray that prayer every day. Maybe before you go to bed, just take 10 seconds and say, Jesus, I want to know how high and wide and long and strong is your love for me. I wonder what Jesus would do in our lives if we prayed that little prayer straight out of the Bible for ourselves every day for six weeks while we did these practicums. Paul was on to something. He knew if that prayer gets answered, it's going to rock your world. It's going to radically change your life. Love God and love people. Well, let's take two minutes just to, just to have a little moment for reflection. What's one thing Jesus wants you to take from this message? Maybe there's some things God's already bringing to mind that you hate about yourself. Maybe you want to make a list of those things. What acceptance, hope, and love might Jesus be speaking to you about those things? I'm going to give you two minutes or anything else just to reflect. Lord, what are you saying to me out of this message today? And then we're going to close off with prayer. I'm going to send it back to Zach after that for some more, for some uh, closing worship.
Well, I'm, uh, I'm praying for you that uh, during this six weeks, you're going to be filled with the love of Jesus. And as you do that, you're going to love the people around you more than ever before. I want to I close this off, and then I'm going to hand it back to Zach. Uh, really appreciate the worship teams, by the way. Uh, Zach and Candy and John and Alex and whoever's on the soundboard and, and producing and pulling all this off. Our volunteers coming in during this time and serving. It's amazing. You're doing such a good job. It's, it's, it's hard to do this when it's empty. Uh, worship is something that I'm really looking forward to. The other day I was in a, in a church building. I'm, I'm missing. I am looking forward to being with people again. I don't miss the building. I miss that building being full of people. I miss that a lot, talking to you guys all. But I want to finish off this, uh, this um, message time with a prayer just for our mothers. It's Mother's Day. I want to pray for the moms. And you guys, you ladies are carrying a big load during this, during this season. And then we'll hand it back to Zach. But uh, I just want to lift up you moms this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, I want to lift up all the moms in our church this morning. And Lord, uh, there are many moms, different stages. Some of them are having to homeschool. And some of them are having to homeschool and work at the same time. I'm thinking of those single moms right now who are really... Uh, they're in deep. Would you give them a special grace today? Would you give them a special grace that's going to last this week and this month and this entire season, Lord? Would you give them strength that sometimes when they feel overwhelmed, that they would know that just being okay, they don't have to be perfect. Lord Jesus, that all of our moms would know today that they just have, if they could just be okay, just get through the day, that's enough, and your grace is going to take them the rest of the way. That you would fill them with love and patience and kindness and goodness. That they would know that you see their efforts, even when they feel like their efforts fall short. Lord, I also want to lift up, it just comes to my mind, I want to lift up all those women uh, who are not moms today. And maybe they feel left out. Some of them maybe wanted to be a mom. Uh, some of them maybe never got a chance. Some of them maybe are just happy in the life that they have, but they're not moms. Maybe they feel a little left out on Mother's Day. Lord, I want to pray for every one of those women, Lord, that no one feels left out today, that you love your daughters. Would you build them up? Would, you, would they feel the love of, of your church and our family for them today? And would they feel the love of your spirit for them today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach and Candy. Take us away. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfund.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfund.com.